Once more, welcome everyone. Thank you for being a part of worship at Woodburn Baptist Church. Man, it's been a good morning so far. You guys are tearing it up. Uh, Awesome. Thank you guys. Man, so good. It's been a crazy morning, y'all. Warren Weeks is out of town. Warren is down in Atlanta taking care of his parents who are in declining health. So God bless Warren. God bless his folks. Warren is gone. Rod is gone. So that left me to come and open all the doors this morning. I had to to get up at six o'clock, people, come over in my pajamas and and open. I'm not, it's not a joke. (laughs) And open this place up. Warren usually, like, you know, y'all, Warren sleeps you know, in pants, like with a shirt tucked in. So he just gets up in the morning and walks over here. I mean, he is here. He's making coffee. He's got this place going. Uh, I am not like that. I, was, I woke up like, <laughs> ran over here and unlocked all the doors. Uh, in the old days at Woodburn, there were two doors, two doors to unlock. And to make everything easy, we just put a key under the rug. So you never had to worry about anybody being locked out. I mean, because the key was under the rug. But now they're like a million doors and lights. Uh, I don't even know how to make coffee. So is there coffee, y'all? Because I didn't even try. I, mean, I just didn't even. Was there? Billy Lawrence is the man. Billy, Billy did not let you all go without caffeine. Uh, so God bless you. Second Kings chapter 13 is where I want us to be today. This is a passage I've never preached. I've read and I've always been drawn to it. It's a little weird, to be honest. Uh, but uh, the lesson in it, I think, is, is amazing and important. Second Kings chapter 13 beginning with verse 14 is where we will be. Um, do I have slides today? Will, will I have my slides on the screens? Okay, awesome. Second Kings chapter 13. As I was saying, uh, time flies. Time changes so many things. Um, I, I have been pastor for 22 years, which doesn't seem like that long, um, but, it, but it is a, a, a lot of time and a lot of change. I was just in worship this morning. That's so different, so different from the old days. I loved the old days, but I love the new days too. Uh, I just love that. When Brittany started uh, tearing it up in that microphone, playing piano, and the piano was going, I was thinking, God, I'm just glad to be here, glad to be alive. That is just so good, you know, walking through, unlocking five trillion doors when in the old days there was only two. Uh, wow, that, that is an amazing blessing. Uh, it, it is amazing what God has done here in our church. I, I'm, I'm blessed, blessed to be able to live with you all and worship with you all through it all. Um, but that's the thing about time. It's the thing about change. A lot of things change as you live, and a lot of those things you get no choices about, man. It just changes. You get, you get no decision about varicose veins. You get no decision about, you know, where your hair ends up. I mean, you just don't get any choice in so many things about your life. But there are certain things that you do choose, and when you make the choice, you need to choose very, very wisely. They say that hindsight is twenty twenty. What exactly does that mean? First off, what is Hindsight. Hindsight is, yeah, looking back. So somehow, one way or the other, when we look back, we see much more clearly than we could see when we were in the middle of it. So hindsight is perfect vision. Hindsight is twenty twenty. What that means is uh, we often end up in a situation in our lives when we say, man, I-, I wish I knew then what I know now. I- I- if I could do it over, if I could go back and do that over, but honestly, in life, there is no going back. There are no do-overs. You get one time at it. You ever bought something and then immediately thought, oh, I wish I never bought that. It's called what? Buyer's remorse. Yeah. Have you ever said something or, or done something? At the end of the day, you thought, oh, I wish I had never said that. Wish I had never done that. Or if you let a day go by and left things unsaid or undone, you think, wow, I wish I'd said that. I wish I'd done 
that. You ever dated or maybe married somebody that eventually you wish you'd never even met? I, I mean, no, that's just real life. I'm not making a joke. That's just real life. You reach a point when you might say the most difficult, most painful thing in the world is regret. Regret. I, I wish I'd have done that differently. Is there any way to live our lives in such a way where we don't end up tasting so much regret? And I would say yes, if you can learn the lesson from 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning with verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning with verse 14. This is the very last episode in the life of the prophet Elisha. It's really, really interesting, really, really strange. Let's read through it, and then we'll talk about what it means uh, Again, I know this is weird, but, but, but listen. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. Okay, let me just tell you, if, if you're new to this story, Jehoash has probably never met Elisha before. I mean, Elisha's been around as long as Jehoash has been born, you know, but Jehoash is an evil king who's never bothered ever to go near Elisha. But today, Elisha's on his deathbed, and Jehoash just shows up with, you know, flowers and tears. It's something of a miracle. Here we go. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, Get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, now put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. An arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now... You will be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. I told y'all that was weird. But important. What is that about? Okay, let's start with what we know. We know that Elisha is literally on his deathbed. He's in his last illness. So there are two important prophets in this period. There's Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah died, his place was taken by Elisha. Now, Elisha himself has had this miraculous and long ministry as the man of God in Israel. Now, he's the man of God. He's the prophet. That means he speaks for God, and he continues, continues to remain in touch with God's word. Now, the kings of Israel are not faithful in that way. The kings of God's people aren't necessarily men of God at all. As a matter of fact, most of them are wicked, evil men, and Jehoash matches that pattern. He is not a good king. He is not a good man. If you go back to the verses right before we just read, it gives a little summary of his entire reign. And all it says is verse 11, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now put that on your tombstone. I mean, can you imagine if your entire reign as king is summed up with those words, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. 
So Jehoash really never had anything good. There's nothing we can praise about him. He never accomplished anything that you can say there, right there. God wanted him to do that. He always did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And then one day he gets the word that Elisha is dying. The prophet Elisha. He's been the prophet for ever how many years? I mean, he's been the prophet for as long as Jehoash has been alive. I mean, you never really thought this guy would die. I mean, he's been old forever. You ever known an old person like that? So, I mean, he's been old my whole life. I, I never really imagined that he would die, but now he's dying. And Jehoash makes a beeline to get to that bedside. Now, I know how y'all are, because I'm kind of the same way. I'm, I'm sitting there watching him run into that hospital room thinking, well, well, you know, better late than never, maybe. I, mean, I guess we would say that. I mean, he should have come. I mean, his entire life, his ministry, the history of Israel, I mean, everything would be different if this king had ever bothered to go to the side of Elisha before this moment and get some wisdom. I mean, Elisha at any point could have helped him understand what God wanted, what God required. I mean, if he had only shown up before today, but today is his day, so maybe better late than never. But why does he come today? If it's never mattered until this moment, if it never mattered enough to, you know, get in the car and drive over there, then why is this such an emergency today? Because Elisha's dying. One way or the other, the king must understand that Elisha's an important man. Not just an important man, Elisha must somehow be the center of what God wants to do with the nation. One way or the other, Jehoash seems to understand this. That Elisha has wisdom, that Elisha has the word of God, and that matters. So he rushes, on this day of all days, he rushes in, and he's crying. He's just weeping, big old crocodile tears, as if he loves him. And he says, my father, my father, what? I mean, come on. I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. Now, that's weird. What is that about? That's a strange thing to say. If you look back, though, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 12, when you go back to where Elijah and Elisha begin to switch places, this is exactly what Elisha says to Elijah. He says, my father, the, the, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. It's a strange thing to say, but it seems to be something that they would say when they're trying to honor an important person. I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. The chariots and charioteers would have been the strength would have been the power, the might. And so when the king looks at the prophet and says, when I see you, it's like seeing the chariots and charioteers of Israel. He's saying, you're the strength. I see the strength. I see the power. I see the might of the nation right here with you. That's what the king says. First lesson, you just have to understand. You don't always know what you have until it's gone. I, I don't think I invented that saying. I think the Rolling Stones told you that. A long time ago, you don't always know what you have until it's gone. It's the truest thing in the world. I say, why is he coming today? Why is it all of a sudden today he recognizes, man, you're the backbone of this nation. You're the strength. You're the chariot. You're the charioteers. You are the prophet, the man of God. You're my father. I mean, why today does he seem to recognize that? Well, because he's about to lose him. He's about to lose him. And at this moment, he recognizes what's about to be gone, and he's about to come unglued. I mean, I think his tears are probably genuine. Jehoash has to understand that a very, very important man in the life of God's people is going and nearly gone. 
You don't always know what you have until it's gone. In our lives, we take most everything for granted. We take everything for granted. We wake up this morning, we see the sunrise, but honestly, the sun rises most every day of our life, so we don't get up early to watch it. I mean, everybody says, I just love the sunrise. If I ask you, what's the most beautiful thing in the world? You would say, oh, I love to see a beautiful sunrise. And yet you sleep till 8.30 every day. You sleep till 8.30. I mean, you don't even see the sunrise. You know, at Woodburn, we have a sunrise service on Easter. We do it at 6.30. The sun's up. But you know, it's a, it's a lot of trouble to get up and actually see a sunrise. We all say it's the most beautiful sight in all the world. And yet we sleep through it every single day because it does it every day. And the things that we have every day become very, very difficult to appreciate. The things that we have every single day, the gifts that God gives us on a regular basis every day, we cease to recognize them as gifts. What I'm saying is anything you take for granted, you can't possibly be thankful for. You take it for granted. There are people in your life that you take for granted, and you will not understand how important they were until they are gone. Ask anybody in this room who's buried their dad and says, I live every single day just wanting to pick up the phone and call him. But you didn't pick up the phone and call him every day when he was alive. I'd give anything just to have one more moment with that person. I'd give anything to have one more day. You know? But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it, this day is the day that the Lord has made. I mean, this is the day. And you don't always know what this day has for you until it's gone. So you cannot let this day slip through your fingers. So maybe better late than never, the wicked king goes up to the man of God and cries these tears and says, Father, Father, he praises him and cries over him. Elisha has nearly nothing to do with any of that. He just starts commanding him. I love that. The prophet of God commanding the king and the king obeys. The king does what the man of God says. If he'd have done this a long time ago, everything would be different. But here we go. Basically, these are two different prophetic actions we could say that the, the prophet asked the king to do two things two different moments but these are very very significant acts the problem is the king doesn't necessarily know what they mean while he's doing them so go back with me verse 15 elisha told the king get a bow and some arrows and the king did as he was told Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Get that picture. It's like a kid. Now, the king is a grown man. He's the king. But Elisha tells him to get the bow. And then the, the prophet lays his hands over the king's hands like a kid, like you're teaching a kid how to draw a bow. So Elisha and the prophet, they both have their hands here together. And then Elisha says, now open the window and shoot the arrow out to the eastern window. So the king does this. He just goes over, he draws back the bow, and boom, he shoots it out the window. Now he did as he was told. What does that mean? What is that about? He would have no idea, absolutely no idea why the prophet would ask him to do that. It seems strange. It seems totally random. Shoot an arrow out the window, the dying man says. Maybe the king assumes that the prophet's out of his head. He's got a fever. He's dying. He's hallucinating. He, just does what he's told. He shoots the arrow. But then what does Elisha say? Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. 
an arrow of victory over Aram. You will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Okay, that's great. That's great. He had no idea what that arrow was, but he shoots it out, and the prophet says, that was the Lord's arrow. And you're going to have complete victory. It was symbolic. It had significance. The king had no idea the significance of that arrow, but now he knows that was the Lord's arrow. And because of your obedience, because of of the fact that you shot that into the heavens, then understand, you will have complete victory. That's God's arrow. You see, the Lord is fully capable of giving you complete victory, total victory, before you even have to fire a shot in battle. Understand, the battle's not even engaged yet. We're not even drawing up sides yet. We're not even on the battlefield yet, but God already says victory's yours. Total victory is yours. Complete victory. That's exciting. Now the king is glad he came to the hospital today. Total victory. God is going to do you a favor. And remember, the king's got no favors coming from God. This is not a godly man. This is not a man of prayer. This is not even a man of faith. But now God says complete victory is yours. That arrow is the Lord's arrow. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground with three times. But the man of God was angry. That's that's the weird part there. He shots the first arrow. He says, that's the Lord's arrow. You have complete victory. And then the prophet says, now take the rest of the arrows and strike them on the ground. So now the king's thinking, okay, and, you know, that's weird. And he takes the arrows and just sort of tap, tap, tap. And the prophet is furious. He he did it. He did exactly what he was told. Take the arrows, strike them on the ground, tap, tap, tap. He knocks three times. And the prophet's furious. Notice what the prophet says. You should have struck the ground five or six times. Why? Why? He, He didn't say strike five or six times. He just said strike. Take the arrows and strike the ground. And the king does it. He just sort of does it. Taps out three. I mean, he's following directions here. You should have done it five or six times. You should have been beating the ground. You should have been at it like you were killing snakes, the prophet says. Because as it is now, you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. That was God's promise, right? I mean, God said total victory is yours. That's what would have happened. But now the prophet says now... But because you did that so half-heartedly, it's not going to be that way. Now you'll only be victorious three times, and then Elisha died. Like in one of those cartoons where he just like has X's for eyes. He just dies. Boom. What? That is really complicated. What? Okay, let's talk about arrows. Get a bow and some arrows. The king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow and open that eastern window. Then he said, shoot. He shot an arrow and Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. Uh, Okay, I I guess we all just probably ought to learn that they're all the Lord's arrows. I mean, everything you have in your hands, it comes from God. 
And anything that the Lord asks you to do, you need to do it with your whole heart. Understand that. It's the Lord's arrows. So this has significance. It has significance that the king has no idea, but it's significant. So when he shoots that first arrow, he doesn't know what God intends. He doesn't know what this represents. At this point, he's just following directions. But when he follows directions, amazing things are promised. A door is opened, and the Lord says, total victory is yours. Now remember, they haven't even fought the battle yet. But God reveals his plan. I'm going to give you complete and total victory. So that first arrow, that first arrow is the Lord's arrow. It represents the Lord's part. And the Lord says, I'm going to do my part. I will give you complete and total victory. It's guaranteed. Before you even fire a shot, it's guaranteed. I have spoken. Then, he says, now take the other arrows and strike them on the ground. Now, the king has already sort of been clued in that, that these acts have significance. That this isn't random. The prophet's not just, you know, on morphine and kind of being out of his head. No, God is doing something here. And the king doesn't understand it, but he's up in it. He's a part of it. So he needs to be alive. He needs to pay attention. He needs to give this his best. So the prophet says, take the arrows and strike them on the ground. And what does the king do? Half-heartedly, you know, lazily, careless. So it taps out three times and quits. I know that sounds strange. I know that seems small. But this is the point. That act of, of obedience had significance that the king didn't understand. He didn't put anything into this. He just sort of taps it out. And there are dreadful consequences for that. Understand, the first arrow is the Lord's part. And the Lord will do his part. And he promises total victory. But then when the king gets his arrows, you see the arrows on the ground represent his part. And his part ain't much. His part doesn't include a lot of enthusiasm. He doesn't go at this with very much intensity. And it is infuriating to God. Because of that, he says, because of what you just did, because of the way you just did that, your total victory now becomes a partial victory. Okay, let that sink in. Just let that sink in. First off, basic principle, you may not get all you could get if you don't give all you've got. You may not get all you could get. Now, I'm talking about from God, and I know this is difficult for some of you to even understand, even, even to fathom, because if God wants you to have it, then what could possibly keep you from getting it? God promised the king total, complete victory, but that's not how it turns out. This was God's will, but this is what happened, and what happened was something less than what God had promised. God wanted the king to have complete victory. But what happened? What gets in the way? What could possibly get in the way of my getting everything God wants me to have? Well, one simple word, me. I get in the way. I get in the way. You may not get all you could get. I, I know that makes your head explode. I mean, God is sovereign. God is God. Doesn't he get everything he wants? Not since he started dealing with you. Let's just be honest. He didn't get everything he wanted out of you this past week, did he? I mean, in every moment of obedience, were you fully obedient? 
Has God spoke to your heart? Did you do everything he asked you to do? Have you been fully present and fully obedient and fully engaged in what God wanted you to do this week? Here's the thing. I fully believe that Scripture teaches there are blessings left unclaimed. There are victories that never get won for the simple reason that we didn't want them bad enough to reach for them. I mean, there are things you could already have from the Lord. I mean, you could be set free from this stuff. I mean, you don't have to be living the life you're living. You could already be walking in victory. It's just not worth it for you to reach out and take victory from God's hand. I mean, you could win this fight. You're just too lazy to step out and fight the fight. You're like the king who gets the instruction, tap these arrows on the ground. I mean, if God says tap arrows on the ground, you need to just, you need to tear them up. You need to be tapping until there's a hole. You need to tap them until you're holding splinters in your hand. You need to go at this thing because God said do it. God said do it. And if God says do it, God wants your whole heart in it. What's the scripture say? I am the Lord your God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. You've got to give this all you've got. But the fact that we don't, the fact that God shows up with all of his power and all of his faithfulness, but we show up with just about a half of our energy, it has consequences in our lives. There are blessings never claimed. There are victories never won for the simple reason that we won't even reach out and take what God is giving us for free. I know God's sovereign, but he involves himself with us, and we are unreliable. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do. You do. So let's break it down. Let's talk a minute, just very, very basically. What are the lessons in the scripture? First off, just this you never know. You never know the significance of what you're doing. You don't ever know. Some of you this morning are going to leave this service and walk down the long hallway to the preschool wing. We call it the preschool wing. And all the walls are painted like sunshine and rainbows. But you go down there every single Sunday, and you know what it's like. It is not all sunshine and rainbows down there, y'all. You know, it is coming home with Cheez-Its and boogers in your hair. It's rough down there, y'all. I mean, it's just like, you know, crayons and magic markers, you know, you know out, out the wazoo. And, and, and kids just up into the bathroom and, you know, feet on the table. And, I mean, it's just crazy down there. And, Man, it's hard. Sometimes you're down there in the nursery changing diapers, and it's like, man, I think this is the ninth time I've been in the nursery this month in a church of 700. Why is it I'm the only person? We end up doing these daily tasks that, that, that seem really small, and we don't always understand the significance of them. My very first Sunday school teacher, her name was Mary Pope. It was the 1970s, y'all. She had the tallest stack of hair on top of her head. Man, her hair was stacked to heaven. She had these glasses on. And she came in every single Sunday, and she taught me Bible stories. She had a flannel graph, a flannel board. Y'all remember flannel boards, all of you 100-year-old people? 
Man, I thought the flannel board was magic. She'd take little, you know, paper-like uh, pictures, and she'd make them stick on the board. Whoa. It's technology back then, y'all. Her smart board was flannel. Man, Daniel in the lion's den, and Elijah and Elisha. She taught me to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I preached Mary Pope's funeral a couple of years ago, y'all. With incredible respect and honor, that woman changed the course of my life. And she's not the only one, but she was one of the first ones. Man, all the Sundays, she must have gone home, you know, with food on her dress, you know, and boogers, and because she was with kids, and that's what kids do. Would she have known how many of us would grow up to love the Lord the way she loved the Lord? Would she have known how many of us would become pastors and and missionaries? Would would she have known? I don't know. In in the middle of those Sundays, you just don't know. You never know. I I was thinking this week about Casey Rice, the college young woman last Sunday, who stood on this stage, if you recall, and talked about Compassion International and the importance of adopting children out of poverty. It was beautiful. It, It was great. And I love Casey I was kind of floored when Casey said that she herself had adopted four children already from compassion. And I don't do math that quick in my head, but all I know is Casey Rice was a college student, y'all. I I remember college, you know. All the money I had was spent on, you know, like ramen noodles and rent. I can't imagine, you know, finding an extra, you know, $150, $200 to invest in children in poverty. But that's what Casey Rice is doing. And then she stood on this stage last Sunday and encouraged us to do it. And in our congregation, seven children were adopted out of poverty last week. I think that's amazing. That's beautiful, seven. But when Casey left here and went to Journey Church, 20. So last Sunday, Casey Rice was responsible for taking 27 kids out of poverty. They will now have clothes and food and education. She has no idea. And she may never know. But do you understand? Things have meaning. There's significance. There's eternal significance to things. And you can't see it. You can't ever see it. You don't have eyes to see it. You won't live long enough to see it. You may see it from the the rafters of eternity, but for now you just have no idea what it means and how important what you're doing is. You just don't know. You you never know. You, You can't know the significance, but you must not assume that it's insignificant. You must not assume that it's not worth your very best effort. You must not think for a moment that if you're doing this for God and for his glory, that you can only put half your energy into it. Everything you do for God, you must do with your whole heart. And you don't always always know how God is going to use you. And you don't know how what you do ripples for eternity. You've just got to be fully present and fully alive and fully engaged. There's not a single day that you're given as a gift to live that you can just sleep through. Because you don't know what that day holds. You don't know the significance of it. These people that cross your path, you don't know which of those encounters have eternal significance. You have no idea. Whatever God asks you to do, if it feels like just tapping sticks on the ground, you better just beat a hole in the ground. You have no idea what this means. 
No idea the consequences. No idea the importance of your obedience. So it comes down to this. Do every small thing as if it were a big thing. Every small thing as if it were a big thing. Because chances are, once we stand on the other side and we look back, we may find out that in this life, there never were any small things. What if everything turns out to be a thing of great importance? What if every person turns out to be a person of great importance? What if hindsight really is 2020? And one day you're looking back on your life. You will see all of those moments that, that were very big moments you just didn't know. And, and you didn't treat them as important moments. You just sort of gave it half. Half your energy, half your heart. You'll look back and think, oh, oh, I wish I could do that again. So King Jehoash, better late than never, rushes to the bedside of a dying prophet, cries, tears, long overdue, praises the prophet. But in just a matter of moments, all of his arrows are gone. And the prophet is dead. And the moment is gone. This is how life works. One day, like Jehoash for you, you will find that all of your arrows are gone. The moment is gone. You just have to understand, you don't have all the time in the world. And so the time that you have, the words that you can speak, the things that you can do, they matter for all time. Pray with me. Lord, this is a closing song like all the closing songs. We do this every Sunday. If nobody comes, the service is over quicker, and we get on to what we want to do. We like when things go quickly, and we can get on to what we want to do. We like when life moves like that, Lord, when we don't get bogged down in moments. Some moments seem to last forever. Some moments, Lord, just go on and on and on, and we're already in our minds moving on to better things, future things, new things, other things. But Lord, for some of us, our whole life is passing that way. We're never in any moment. We're always leaving that moment into a new moment, which we will leave before the next moment arrives. Lord, this is how we are. We simply have no patience for moments, no patience for tasks. If we must do it, we do it as quickly as we can, with as little energy as we can, with no creativity, no involvement. Lord, we just want to get it done and move on, get paid, rest. God, 
help us. God, whatever it is that we are called to do, whether it's to speak a word or to do a deed, Lord, let us do it in such a way where you can be glorified. And our laziness does not glorify you, Lord God. Our lack of enthusiasm, Lord, our lack of energy, our lack of vision, our lack of love, it does not glorify you. You who have surrendered your son on the cross for our lives, for our eternal, eternal salvation, Lord. You've given us everything and we give you nearly nothing. The leftovers of our energy, the leftovers of our time. God, help us. Help us to realize the significance of every moment, every breath, every deed, every word. Help us to recognize, Lord, that everything is a thing of great importance, a thing of great beauty because it's temporary. It passes away. Help us to realize that every person, young, old, small, great, every person is a person of great importance. Help us to treat important things importantly, to treat important people with importance. Oh, God, open our eyes. Oh, God, open our hearts. This is the day that you have made, that you have given us. Let none of its blessings slip through our fingers. Help us, Lord, to reach today, to reach for everything that you would give us, everything that you have promised us, Lord. We want it all. We pray these things for your sake, O Christ. Amen.